jump off the lawnmower. Today I'm excited to be talking to Sean McCormack. Sean is the host of the podcast Sean's Wild Life and also the founder of the successful local conservation organization, the Ealing Wildlife Group. Sean studied animal science in Essex and veterinary medicine in Dublin in UCD. He's from Kilkenny, but he doesn't play hurling. Welcome, Sean McCormack. So hi, I'm talking to Sean McCormack today, and um, Sean, you're in London. Um, I am, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the whole wildlife area and conservation? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on as a guest. I'm normally on your side of the microphone recording my own podcast. So uh, yes, it was a bit of a, novelty, bit of a novelty to be asked to come on. Um, where do I start? God, I think start when I was two years old and started toddling away from my mother and causing her all sorts of heartache turning over massive stones, looking for woodlice and beetles and stuff in the garden. Um, she tells me that I had superhuman strength if there was a, a rock to look under, as a oh, toddler yeah. even. So just, that was, I don't that know. was in County Kilkenny, was it? Your I, was born in Kil- I was born in Kilkenny, yeah. Uh, we moved around quite a bit. Mum and Dad are both from Kilkenny, um, but we moved to Galway first, then to Cork. And then from the time I was about 12, I grew up in uh, County Kildare, right near Dublin border, Selbridge. Um, so moved around quite a bit, but I always was the odd one out of five kids because I was the one who was just fascinated by nature. And I didn't, I didn't lick it off a stone, as they say. I think my dad was a similar wow. child. You know, he had an interest in birds and, and things that kind of his dad and granddad passed down to him. So it was always that interest. And then both my parents were kind of like interested in looking after the garden and stuff. And I would be the only sibling, I guess, that was interested in being outdoors in nature and looking at stuff like that. Wasn't into sport. My dad's a uh, Kilkenny hurler, so that was... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, you weren't, you weren't a, a hurler. I wasn't a hurler. No, I was the disappointing son. Tragic. So he, he jokes that he had to find something to do with me, so it ended up being bird watching. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's where it came from. It's always been there. And I think then, you know, people ask me, you know, how do you know so much about nature and wildlife as a kid and what do you want to be when you grow up and I was like well it has to be something to do with animals so the only two careers I know are a zookeeper or a vet Mm -hmm. and uh, after a a long road I became a vet um, stubbornly some might say (laughs) Um, uh, but my main passion has always been wildlife and nature rather than like Mm -hmm. you know necessarily pets and and domestic animals and Um, and tell us us a little bit a bit about the Ealing Wildlife Group because you you're a founder of that yeah, so um, I changed career a little bit about four and a half, five years ago, where I moved from like normal veterinary work into industry. So um, I work for a pet nutrition brand and it gave me just a bit more time and, and flexibility. It's quite hard work and long hours being a vet. And at that time, I was interested in and had more time for the local wildlife around Ealing in West London, where I live. And yeah, the way that happened quite organically was um, someone I knew tagged me on a post on Facebook and said, oh, Sean McCormick knows about bats. And someone was asking about bats in a, in a railway viaduct in our local area. And I started, you know, waffling on about bats on Facebook. And some people were like, how do you know so much about bats, you weirdo? <laughs> and uh, that's where Ealing Wildlife Group started because I said, someone said, oh, you should do a talk like or, or um, you know, do organize something to do a bat. So I got in touch with London Bat Group. I said, would anyone come and do a survey here and, and put on a walk with me? 
and there's a lot of local people interested. And I asked on two of our neighborhood Facebook forums, if I, you know, raise some funds for a bat detector and put on a couple of walks this summer, would you be interested? And over 400 people said, yeah, that would be amazing. So just to organize a couple of bat walks that summer and to raise some funds to buy an 80 pound bat detector to do the walks, I uh, formed Eating Wildlife Group and it's grown massively since then. So we're over 3000 members now. That's amazing. And what kind of bats do you remember that you um, saw, you detected? Yeah, so we, um, we've we done bat work and bat surveys. We've we've formed a little, you know, uh, bat pack in Ealing of, of people who are interested in bats now. And bats have remained a bit of a focus because they're a very good kind of indicator species for the wealth of a kind of ecosystem and biodiversity in everything else. So we've recorded seven of the 17 breeding species of bats okay. in the UK in Ealing. And one of them, the brown long-eared bat, uh, which we know actually has hibernated in that viaduct um, is quite scarce in London. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so bats are, are a kind of a, a common theme of Ealing Wildlife Group, but we do loads of other stuff as well. We do habitat creation projects and management projects, and we um, have put up an owl nest box scheme, and we do a lot of like bird walks and bio blitz and loads of nature based activities in the community, basically. Brilliant. So, I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. And right. the, third, the second year we were open, um, we decided to theme our Halloween on bats. You know, we pick an oh, yeah. owl every year. It's a bat or an owl or a worm. Yeah. And we contacted the local bat group. And anyway, it ended up that we bought a bat detector. And we're just in the farm here. I set it up and I said to Roy, look, I'm just going to go out and see if I can detect any bats. And literally opened the door. And I was like, Mrs. Doolittle, the bats were everywhere. It, they kind yeah. of, I didn't know came to the bat detector, but they were literally swarming all around me just outside the back door. Brilliant. Um, but they were pipistrelle, which is a common yeah. breed, I common think. Common pipistrelle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was, yeah. I was, I'm not afraid of bats. It's lovely. No, they're brilliant. And as I say, they are like, they're a great, great thing to monitor because if you have a really great diversity of bats, you know that the local habitats are supporting lots of other things as well. So they're a good way to monitor, you know, what's happening with bat populations actually could tell you what's happening to, to other things as well, whether they're yeah. getting better or, or there's harm being done. Very good. So we've kind of said how you became a nature lover. That was the first question. So do you have a favorite plant or animal? Oh, that's tricky to narrow it down to one. <laughs> you don't um, have one. It could be more. I think... As a group, I'm um, definitely uh, a frog nerd. Um, frogs and toads and newts, amphibians in general, are, mm. you know, where it's at. And I think that probably came from, again, like kind of the early experiences with nature, like watching tadpoles turn into frogs and, and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I'm definitely uh, a fan of little slimy things like frogs and toads and newts, stuff like that. Yeah. Have you seen the girl? I think she's in Dundalk or somewhere. She's definitely in the north of Ireland with the tadpoles on. I have. Yeah, yeah. She's She's got 37,262 tadpoles. Unbelievable. And she's got a million viewers or something. I know. She's gone like global on TikTok with her like um, paddling pools of tadpoles that she's rescued from a drying puddle and is... They're now transforming into frogs this week, I think. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll have to um, put her link on the show notes as well. She's so a couple funny. of people have sent it to me because I'm like, you know, self-confessed giant frog nerd. They're like, you could have been this girl. 
<laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, I was the, I was the original gangster frog girl. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so do you feel spiritually connected with nature or is there any experience you've had during your life where you felt spiritually connected? Um, I talked about this with someone recently. Um, I was doing, I'm doing a rewilding course at the moment and, and they're talking about rewilding from like an anthropological point of view, like for the human connection and things. And I did say, I'm not like a very spiritual person. I'm very much you know interested in nature and maybe i'm a bit too you know much of a dry scientist uh, about this um but i do believe we're you know massively connected um and we are part of the system and you know when we die i'm i'm kind of one that says we are nutrients and we're part of the cycle and and, and kind of that's it so i'm not sure about a, a real spiritual connection but i definitely get a lot from connecting with nature and it is very good for my mental health and i know that when i lack it and don't have time or don't allow myself time to go and get outside and look at things and slow down and detach from technology and just enjoy the simple things of like observing nature. That's when, you know, my mood goes down or I start to get more frazzled at work or more stress feeling. There's definitely, you know, this concept of biophilia that we all are connected to nature and we all need it. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our evolution. And it's only really in the last few hundred years with kind of the technological revolution that we've become so detached from it. And I think it's done us a massive, massive harm. Mm. So in that respect, yeah, I think there is a, a, a connection, whether you describe it as spiritual or not. I, I kind of tend to describe it as it's a biological need yeah. um, that, that we should connect with nature. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And um, so what positive actions could you recommend for people to support nature apart from joining your group? Well, joining any group is good. Yes, I mean, yeah. you don't have, yeah, you don't have to join like, you know, um, I think nature sometimes can be seen as like a bit um, uncool or a bit stuffy, you know, like the real nitty gritty naturalist societies and stuff like that. But I think just joining a local group that can kind of bring you out in nature and kind of teach you some things. What you're doing, you know, there at yours is, is great to engage people with nature. I think you, my, my advice is go out and actively engage with it. Mm -hmm. And dedicate a little bit of time in your day or in your week to say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to just walk and watch and learn and, and, and look at things. Um, and maybe, you know, if you find a niche interest, um, buy a little book and, and then go out on a walk and go, oh, this is that. Whether it's flowers or whether it's insects or whether it's birds. Um, but I think it's about making a conscious uh, effort to connect uh, with nature. You will be surprised at the, the good it does you. Yeah, I think yeah. that's very good advice, actually, to commit to a time every week in nature rather than saying, I'll do this someday or, or I must go for a walk again. If you actually committed to it. It always goes on the long finger. Life gets in the way otherwise, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. So um, do you have any favorite or inspiring nature books you'd like to recommend? Uh, yes, I do. Actually, one of the most uh, influential and, and most enjoyed book I read um, in the last year or two, maybe, was Wilding by Isabella Tree. Um, so Wilding is the story of a farm down in West Sussex um, on the south coast of England or near it that uh, weren't making a profit and trying to decide what they would do. 3,000 or 3,500 acre estate. Um, basically, they turned it back to nature and allowed it to rewild. And uh, they got support from you know English nature and a few different th places to do this. But the results they've seen with... Um, 
amazing things coming back into a former, you know, really, really damaged agricultural landscape just allowed a little bit of breathing space to recover. And they've seen remarkable things. I think they've got the highest density now of nightingales and turtle doves anywhere in the UK. Um, all these species that we thought we had to like manage local nature reserves really, really intensively for and provide just perfect conditions for, actually they've turned that on its head. And they said, no, all we have to do is step off the land and leave it alone and allow it to restore itself. And then all these remarkable things happen. And I've been down there a few times um, to camp and to stay. And it is just the most phenomenal place. And it really uh, is a, a brilliant book. I'm not sure if you read it. Yeah, I read it. I absolutely loved it. And it's the bits which was it? so exciting. Do you remember the, they have the creeping nettle, I think it is. Yeah, and all the creeping local, thistle. Yeah. Creeping thistle. All the local farmers are getting really annoyed because there was like 25 acres of creeping thistle. And they were thinking, yeah. oh, we're going to have to do something about this and get rid of it. And then all of a sudden the butterflies came and ate it. Yeah, so incredible. Nice. We're going to step off this. We're going to ring fence the entire three and a half thousand acre estate. And we're going to put uh, deer and herbivores onto it like ponies, um, cattle and Tamworth pigs that would replicate what our landscape looked like, you know, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, and see what happens. And they've had incredible things come back where they're kind of turning conservation on its head, where, you know, they've got the highest density of nightingales and turtle doves now in the UK because they've just allowed their hedgerows to grow and they've never cut them again. And, you know, nightingale conservation, everything about it is, oh, you have to coppice woodland and you have to provide just this right habitat that will get nightingales to breed. And they're like, we've got the densest population of nightingales because nature knows best and nature's given them the habitat they actually wanted um, rather than us managing the woodland. So loads of really, really amazing results out of it. And um, I think the book, to be honest, like has really inspired uh, a new movement and a new interest in rewilding as a concept in the UK, especially. Um, and in Ireland. But yeah, Wilding Isabella Tree, can't shout yeah. about it enough. Fantastic. I've let my copy you, out to loads of people. <laughs> uh, and you've been down and camped on the farm. I have, yeah. I've gone to NEP every year. This is this is the first year in a few years where I haven't gone down because of lockdown. Um, but I'm going down in August, um, all going well. And they've got white storks breeding there for the first time in 600 years now. They're, they're I part heard of the white that's stork. incredible. That's the only, is that the only place in the UK that they're breeding? It's the first place they've bred. Yeah, there's a few, there's a few, a couple of other estates involved. Um, but NEP is the first place where they've had wild white stork chicks. They're in the nest right now. They're due to fledge uh, in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's the first time in 600 years. So yeah. amazing. Magical. They're bringing, they're bringing beavers back as well. Oh, I love beavers. And you were talking to yeah. somebody from the Beaver Trust, I for your podcast. Yeah. Well, Sean does yeah, a podcast so himself, which is... Um, what, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Sure, yeah. It's called Sean's Wildlife and it's just exploring um, nature, our connection with nature, um, mental health, you know, people's stories around nature and then more kind of practical kind of conservationists, um, how we produce our food and how that impacts it and then a lot of rewilding topics. So recently I interviewed the project manager for the White Stork Project. Um, I'm literally just off a recording with the Beaver Trust um, so I'm a, a, a rewilding fanatic. <laughs> Brilliant. That's fantastic. So if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you do for the planet today? Um, I think the, the phrase 
you know, think global, act local is really, really important. And I think every one of us has can have an impact on the planet at a local level. And local might be as tiny as, you know, your windowsill or balcony, people that don't have a garden. Um, thinking about gardens in general. Um, I know you had Mary Reynolds on your podcast, yeah, so did I. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love the message that Mary Reynolds puts out about, you know, giving your land or giving some space back to nature because an amazing statistic over here was that if we add up all of the area under gardens, private gardens in the whole of the UK, it's more than the area under local nature reserves. Um, and I think if we've all got that opportunity to give a little of our land back to nature and just allow it to be and stop spraying it and trimming it and mowing it to within an inch of its life and allow some wildflowers or what we call weeds to come back in, even if it's just a messy patch down the end. Mm. If everyone just did a little to like let nature breathe a bit, that will have a big impact on biodiversity that's struggling, but also, you know, on a slightly larger scale, if we add all those places up, you know, storing carbon in the soil and, um, you know, allowing some biodiversity back and, and uh, kind of, you know, it will have a, a beneficial effect on, on climate change and things like that. If we all just try and make little incremental improvements in how we live our lives and what we do with any land that we're in charge of. Mm. And if you do leave a bit of your garden kind of rough, you might kind of be disappointed the first year and just see all oh, nettles and docks and, well, oh, that's yeah. a bit messy, but leave it another year and other things come through and it, and you will get um, a wider range of biodiversity and eventually you'll have some cover for hedgehogs or um, yeah, that's bees, it. Yeah, solitary yeah. bees and things like that. So it takes a little bit of time. It does and a little bit of patience. And I think like I'm, I'm fairly safe to say that in Ireland we are obsessed with like tidying the, the landscape and Tidy tidying towns. the land. <laughs> a tidy towns committee with like sterile bedding plants everywhere those days are gone <laughs> like we and they are getting better they, they're they, joining the all islands pollinator plan but real, they are yeah. all still very keen on pulling ivy off walls and things like that but it's changing and, yeah and i like you know roadside verges and things and going out and mowing grass all the time that doesn't need to be mowed Number one, we're using fossil fuels for that. You know, we're, we're polluting the atmosphere with the fumes from our, our lawn mowing equipment and things. And there's no space for nature in a monoculture lawn that isn't allowed to flower or, or seed or anything. Like, just let a few areas go a little bit wild. There was a great story from, I think it was Westmead a couple of weeks ago, where they decided just to stop, the council stop mowing all of the roadside verges and um, middle reservations. And they've had all these orchids pop up in them and um, really rare plant life that is sitting in the seed bank in the soil waiting for an opportunity to come. Yeah. And then all of the insects and, and other biodiversity that attracts as well. So jump off the lawnmower actually is my, uh, yeah. my cool thing. catchphrase. Let some lawn, let some lawn grow. Mow some grass um, paths through your wild lawn and just let it go and, and cut it once in spring, cut it once in August and enjoy the nature that it brings in. It'll bring in loads no matter what size your lawn. Mm. Well, that's thank you very much. That's great advice, and it's lovely to talk to someone who's so passionate about wildlife and nature. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's yeah, brilliant. thank you so much, and for all your work with the wildlife group, and that might inspire other people to start their own little wildlife groups. Um, Do you know what? Yeah, it started with a Facebook group, like yeah. that was about oh, let's put on three bat walks. It'll be easier to organise on on uh, 
Facebook, start something in your village. Just mm. call it, you know, your village name and wildlife group and see yeah. who's involved. Yeah. We're, we're more powerful together and we can talk to our local council. We can talk to our local MP. We can talk to, you know, the planning, uh, the planners in a new development about like being a little bit more sympathetic to nature if we have a little community around name. us. So build yeah. a little build a little village around you of fellow nature lovers. Get mm. involved and, and, and fight for nature because we need to at this point in time. Oh, that's a lovely message. Thank you very much, Sean. Um, no worries. Thank you for taking you. the time yeah, to talk to us. Thank you for listening to Nature Magic. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating. We hit number one in Ireland again this week, so thank you very much to all the listeners. Exciting news. The Nature Magic book will be available on Amazon for $1.75 on launch day this Tuesday, the 28th of July. The book Nature Magic, How to Engage Everyone with Biodiversity, is full of fun things to do and stories from the last seven years of setting up and running for a nature sanctuary. Find out what happened when Helen decided to get 10 international visitors to do some skipping with Frank the Llama. It didn't go well. Our nature sanctuary is open from Wednesdays to Sundays from 10 to 6 and also bank holiday Monday the 3rd of August. Come and visit and see the orchid-rich wildflower meadow in full bloom now. If you'd like to support us, visit our online shop. Nature Magic episodes are currently fortnightly. Thank you.